Coach Taku. Making anime your new life coach. My gorgeous Coach Taku listeners, if you've been binging us, welcome back. If you were waiting week to week, thanks for your anticipation. I hope it was juicy. Uh, you are now here with us for part two of our fangirl coaching debrief of Sailor Moon Eternal, the two-part movie that came out on Netflix earlier this June. Uh, and Mary and I are just having a swell old time, you know, chatting about one of our favorite series of all time, fangirling over how it's been 30 years and it's still just as good as we remember it. And, uh, you know, loosely, but genuinely connecting the power of the Sailor Scouts to the power of vision. And specifically looking at how when we have long-term dreams and ambitions, they fuel that amazing, powerful part of ourselves. And when we only create from the short-term we tend to choose from our feelings and that can have some volatile results. So Mary, where do we pick the conversation back up from here? So I think we left off the last episode talking about like the duality eh, between the dark circus and the, the, the senshi. And I think what's interesting about that, Christina, because even in the intro, you know, um, Chibi Usa is telling Usagi a story, a bedtime story about how you can't look at the mirror on a new moon. And ironically enough, it is a new moon today. <laughs> Just FYI. <laughs> um, at the time of this recording anyway. And what, because what happens is that there's a darkness in there that could come out and get you. And I found that super interesting because as the story evolves, we find that that darkness is actually a little piece of what we all have, you know? And I think where I see the dark circus and their limitations is like, they're so focused on that dark energy and that lower vibration, which keeps them doing things in a really funny, inauthentic way. And while we all have that dark side of ourselves, it's important to have a balance between that light side as well, that side that is on a higher vibration that keeps you moving towards that vision or towards that goal. Yeah. And, you know, um, I think what is cool or interesting to notice about what happens in these movies is that the members of the Dark Moon Circus almost like view dreams as something to poison. And the, the way that they source their evil powers is they basically... Uh, tempt people to share their dreams, but then purposefully warp them or manipulate them or bring out someone's deepest, darkest fears of why it won't work. And, you know, in the first part, we were really talking about how to stay connected to our commitments and the highest version of ourselves. And you can see how if you don't do that, <laughs> it's really easy to buy into what the Dark Moon Circus is selling because, you know, they're basically offering not too dissimilar from the Demon Slayer concept that 
hey, you know, your dreams are too hard and they may not happen. So why don't you just stay asleep and not have to worry about it not coming true? Um, which is a lot of, of like, you know, hey, how about you like play this game and just try not to lose at it versus play all out and see what it would take to win at it. Yeah, I think to bring this conversation into something more tangible, because I mean, we're not fighting dark circuses all the time. At least I'm not, Christine. I don't know about you. But we all do have visions. We all do have goals. And there are times when we get discouraged or there are times when things aren't going the way that we expected them to. Or there are times when we get into our own heads and we're like, well, like if I do this, then I can't do X or I need this before I can do that. And it's really about coming back to that higher vision, that higher commitment that takes you out of that energy and back into, okay, how am I going to move forward in spite of whatever else is going on? So think about yourselves and your projects and where you are, what you want to create. And again, it's normal to have both, you know, where there are times you're going to be in a, in an energy and a vibe where you're like, oh, I'm scared and I don't know what to do. And maybe it's better if I just take a nap and go to sleep for a while. But then there are other times where the commitment, the goal is much higher it's much more aligned to your purpose and to what you want to create for yourself that even when you take those breaks, you have to remind yourself to keep going. Yeah. And you know, the other thing is um, I just want to underscore we're not like fear isn't a bad thing and doubt isn't a bad thing. Um, I think we tend to relate to them as bad, but they're natural and they're actually what tends to keep us safe as human beings. But, you know, something that's cool that the movie ends up reflecting in itself is that like doubt and fear is just on the flip. Like it's just the other side of the coin of you truly believing in yourself and being willing to dream. And it it really falls as a spectrum more so than, well, either you are full of doubt or you're full of dreams. I would say at any point in the day, you know, it's more of a percentage count than a yes or no, you know. Um, And one of the ways that the movie really lets you have compassion for the doubts and fears is, you know, you have this Amazon quartet that's causing all this fuckery. And by the end of the film, they defeat Queen Echelia, all said and done, things are good. And Saturn's like, wait a second. I... I know this Amazon quartet. What the heck's going on here? And she waves her awesome staff of power. And what you discover is that these same four women that have been (laughs) these minions of mischief and disaster for almost three hours worth of film are in actuality Sailor Senshi. They are Sailor Scouts. They are the scouts guarded by the asteroids in the solar system. And their purpose is to actually wait for Chibi Moon to assume the throne and serve her as her personal guardians. Um, And in that moment, it it reminds you to have empathy because this, like, nothing in Sailor Moon is black or white. Nothing is purely evil or purely good. Just like we're saying, no one is ever purely in fear or purely in dream mode. Um, and so you see these sailor scouts released from this curse and having tons of gratitude and also sharing. So remember when it's time for you to build your team, we're going to be in the Amazon. 
you know, sleeping, waiting for that to happen and here to make your dreams come true. Yeah. And it's, it's such a cool concept. And it, what I, what I like about that specific storyline is that, and it reminds me again of, I know we've said this a few times, but of Demon Slayer, (laughs) because in those moments when you're caught in that darkness and you are caught in the funk, it's so important to have people around you who can actually pull you out. And it reminds me of like Inosuke <laughs> with Tanjiro in Demon Slayer in that particular scene towards the end where he's like, we have to keep moving forward. I know it's painful, but we got to keep moving forward. In the same way, I think, you know, the in Sailor Moon, you can see how this is this happens over and over again with all the senshi at any point in time. When one is caught in the darkness, there's always at least one other senshi who's going to be there to pull her out. And so that's the power of teamwork. And that's the power of having a support group around you that can really see you in all your brilliance and will actually stand for you, will actually support you in getting out of it and keep walking forward. Yeah. And um, I think that's also someone else we haven't, we didn't mention once in part one somehow, but who I also think is connected to this is our boy Mamoru, Tuxedo Mask, Prince Endymion, whatever you want to call him. He's our the one male love interest in this entire show, apparently. <laughs> but, um, you know, we, we spoke a little bit about in our first part about how exciting it was to have the films focus a little bit more on the sailor senshi and their growth and development. Because similarly, I think Mamoru's or Mamoru's growth in this film, or at least getting to see a different side of him is so much of the original series is about how he's like, willing to fall on his sword literally over and over again to protect sailor moon. And he spends pretty much this entire two-part film out of commission. He's sickly. I don't think he transforms into Tuxedo Mask until like the last 20 minutes of part two. Um, But what's cool about it is it allows for the introduction of Helios, also known as Pegasus, who is this priest that exists to protect and serve Mamoru, which to me, it was uh, really fun to see, A, because I just love Helios's character design. He's such a cute little sweetie, both as a Pegasus and as like this like young shrine dude. Um, but I think it goes back to like, here you have Tuxedo Mask, who's usually like so put together and has it all handled and doesn't have any needs. And in this film, he does have needs. And you see him need to lean on Pegasus to make it happen. And also even lean on Usagi more as well. I mean, to be fair, we haven't spoken about him because he was asleep for most of this whole movie. And, you know, and the thing is, like, even when I think about the series, the anime series, when I watched it as when I was younger, um, there was always an energy around Mamo-chan where in the end, he's the one that needed the rescuing <laughs> and Sailor Moon who had to come in and, and save him from evil. And it was interesting in this movie because we actually got to see him as a little bit more mature, a little bit more thoughtful and considerate of Usagi and of Chibi Moon and 
it really, it really almost felt like family energy. And this is the first time I can actually say that, like in watching the three of them interact, right? I actually felt that family unit, that family conversation felt like, oh yeah, I can see how this is mom and this is dad and this is their daughter. And which is the first time I think I've ever felt that energy in any of the, in any of the movies. But I do also love how Pegasus, I mean, come on, he's, he's a unicorn. He has a little horn on him. He's like magical. And I think what I love about him is that and it's not just about him. It's also about Chibi Usa or Chibi Moon um, because his presence actually sparks. You can see like the Chibi Usa's journey like the start of her journey at this point, the start of her young adulthood and where she is in her storyline and young love. And there's something really beautiful and tender and magical as we watch their story kind of start, just like at the beginning phases and just get a a feel for it and what's to come. Yeah, and you know, um, I think what is really sweet about this like new young love between Helios and Chibiusa is Chibiusa and keep in mind she's a young girl right like you can't put too much pressure on her despite the fact that she's usually destined to save the earth is conversations are almost always about her like she loves to be the third wheel in between Usagi and Mamoru and kind of like take their precious personal time away from them And you really see her transformation from like that spoiled little girl to someone who really thinks about the care and well-being of others with the way that she's so determined to help Helios and save him and protect him. And ultimately, at the end of the second part of the film, actually help revive him and give him his life back. Um, So I agree. It is really, really cute. (laughs) But I got to say, kind of going, you know, uh, in part one, I talked about the idea of like short-term visions versus long-term visions. And um, going back to the start of part one, I think one of the places where you see this very clearly is how catastrophic it can be when you choose from your feelings. Because there's this moment where Mamoru is very ill and simultaneously, Usagi wishes that she's a little girl so that she doesn't have to be responsible for everything all the time. And Chibiusa wishes that she were an adult so she could be stronger and help Mamoru. And both of them, like having that wish from their like spur of the moment feelings gives the Dark Moon Circus an opportunity to have them swap ages. And they're like, fuck, <laughs> what did we do? And, um, you know, obviously it resolves itself by the end, but, but what it takes for both Chibiusa and Usagi to return to normal after that is recognizing how that was a wish that they made from their fears or from what they don't like about themselves or from what they think they should be. And that it's when they learn to embrace who they are and who they get to be that during their transformation, they revert back to their original forms. Yeah, I mean, the chaos when we let our feelings rule over, right? But do you think there's something really... So I think you bring up some really important things, Christina. And as coaches, we don't really delve too much in the realm of feelings. But I think there is a space to be with the emotions that are coming up. Just to let them, to release them and let them go. 
Because here's the thing, like, <laughs> I mean, it played off really badly in the scenario. But when you think about it, both of these characters have been holding on to those feelings for quite some time, because even at the start of it, we can see how Usagi wants what Chibiusa has or what Chibiusa wants because of that childlike energy. And then there are moments when Chibiusa is like, I really wish I were more like Usagi. I want to be a grown woman. So there were feelings that were going unexpressed and unacknowledged that kind of led them to this really funky thing that just happened. Instead of just from the start, maybe saying, hey, this is how I'm feeling. This is what's coming up, having a conversation around it. Maybe in that moment, things could have gone a little bit more differently. So the, I think it's I think it's funny and I think it's also um, really reflective of how we do things sometimes when we're just like holding on to things and not really speaking them out. And then they show up in these really funky ways and we make them more catastrophic than they need to be. Right. We create a lot of drama around something that was actually really small to begin with. Mm, beautiful point. Well, speaking of feelings that are not expressed or not fully acknowledged, um, I'm curious, Mary, like outside of the vision conversation, if we were just looking at these two movies as a form of media that we love, uh, how did they stack up? Because uh, if y'all remember, I think we briefly touched base on our opinions of Sailor Moon Crystal, which was the OG anime reboot that they tried a couple years ago. Um, so if you look at like the original anime, the original films, Sailor Moon Crystal and now Sailor Moon Eternal, how did it do? So first, I think from a nostalgic point of view, I just love seeing them again in this whole new story. It was like, ah, my friends are here. <laughs> you know, it was like this little girl inside of me that was all giddy and happy. And when I think about the actual movie, I think it shows a lot of promise, Christina. Like I feel like it's going in a direction where it's giving the characters the opportunity to grow and show up in different ways than we've experienced them before. You know, like again with Pluto and Saturn and Neptune, Uranus, like we get to see a different side of them. We get them to see like really being happy and formulating this dream life. And that's really exciting and that's fun. And I, I want more of that. I want to see more of what happens. And then with the other senshi, we got to see, because a lot, when I remember of the anime series, a lot of them were boy crazy, you know, focused. And not to say that that didn't happen in this movie, but there was really an emphasis on who they were as an individual, what their dreams and hopes were, what their fears were, and how they relate to themselves. And I found that really, it was really cool. It was really touching and really resonated in so many different levels. And I was like, I'd love to see more of them and see more of that journey. But what did you think, Christina? Ooh, um, well, for me, so I had this box set, like <laughs> the original volumes of Sailor Moon that covered this particular arc. I had as a box set, I read over and 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 over again to the point where Sailor Moon Eternal stayed so true to the source material that I didn't feel as pressed to religiously follow the subtitles because I kind of already knew what they were going to be talking about. So from a nostalgia perspective, I loved it. 
I think additionally, you know, a lot of people's criticisms with Sailor Moon Crystal was that even though it followed the manga more genuinely, uh, it was just so jarring. Like it was so jarring to go from like that classic 90s animation style to these toothpick thin girls with huge eyes that were going to like fall over and had weird CG transformations. Um, So I thought they did a really wonderful job finding a middle ground here of keeping the style modern, of adapting the style to being a little more fresh and also in touch with the source material, but infusing it with those pieces of nostalgia that we know and love. Like, I know um, not like having nothing to do with the plot, (laughs) like nothing made me happier than all of the transformation sequences looking like the original transformations with the ridiculous like 1998 Windows 98 holographic backgrounds and their silhouettes (laughs) to the way they just like scream their transformation sequence. Like it was just, it was really heartwarming for me. Like I felt like being a kid again, falling in love with this series and this genre of magical girls as a whole. I can totally relate. You know, the music is just so ingrained in your head at this time that you see the transformation sequence happening. You're like, oh, <gasps> you know, and every time it, it was really, it was a lot of fun. And I do, I did actually enjoy the modern aspects of it too. Like I loved the way that the characters were depicted and I was a much bigger fan of Neptune's just because my hair currently kind of matches hers. <laughs> so it's like, oh, this is so cool. So all in all, I, I I had a lot of fun with it. Were there any Sanchi that kind of struck you in any particular way other than Jupiter? Because I know Jupiter is your favorite, but <laughs> were there any others that were like, oh, this one, I love her. I mean, look, my first of all, Sailor Uranus was and will always remain my sexual awakening as a young child. Um, I love them so much. But the thing that I really loved that I just realized we didn't touch on too much was like earlier we were talking about this idea of connecting to the highest version of ourselves to be clear on our vision and our dreams and what we want. And it was cool to see Jupiter and Mars in particular um, and Mercury a little bit as well, but they, they each had their moments during their nightmares where they were comparing themselves to the outer senshi, you know, uh, Mars not having as powerful psychic abilities as Mishiru and Jupiter not being as cool and level-headed as Uranus and Mercury not being as scholarly or as smart as or successful as Pluto yet. And um, I thought it was cool that the show, even in very quick sequences, kind of like revealed that dirty underbelly of like people's own shame and need to compare themselves, especially among girls and the relationships that they create with their friends. Um, Because it was cool to see that resolved by the inner senshi claiming their own power and still getting to collaborate with the outer senshi in a whole new way. Like it was no longer just the outer senshi here to save the day. It was all of them working together to save the day. Yeah, there's something really, I feel like that's part of a much larger conversation, Christina. (laughs) So we'll have to come back to that. Maybe on the live, we'll talk a little bit more about that because there's something about 
the way that we compare ourselves to others. And we're always looking for this almost proof that we're not enough or we're not getting it right or somebody's doing it better. And what's amazing about the way that this was handled is that even though they had those moments, even though they're like, I'm not as good as X, Y, Z, there's still so much love between them. And it's like the love that they had for each other and the respect and understanding that they had for each other was so much more greater than these feelings of pettiness and comparison. So I don't know, there might be something in there that we might have to delve into a little bit more, Christina, because I'm so curious. I know it comes up for me and my coaching with my clients as well. They're like, well, how come, you know, this person is doing so much better than me? And I'm like, well, it's not who you are. But I'd love to, I'd love to go into that a little bit more. Ooh, me too. We could even like, let us know if you're interested in this. We could specify that to a particular series, or we could even just look at it in terms of like anime rivals. Cause this, like, this is the Bakugo versus Deku conversation to me. <laughs> and even the Naruto Sasuke one, even the inner senshi versus the outer senshi, like uh, the Kyo versus Yuki, like there's a lot. There are a lot of series that kind of cover that comparison spectrum. Um, But hey, if you're still along for the ride with us, thanks so much for hopping on this journey. That has been our first ever two-parter. We had a lot of fun with it. If you couldn't tell, apparently we love Sailor Moon so much that we might even need a third part. (laughs) But if you liked the format, if you want to see us do additional two-parters for movies in the future, you could leave us that love and feedback in your comments and your reviews. It would be super appreciated as always. Thank you for listening, everyone. And of course, have a great weekend. Bye-bye. Hey, thanks so much for watching this episode of Coach Taku. For subscribing so you never miss a new episode. Have an idea for an episode or show you'd love us to discuss? DM us on our Insta, Coach Taku Pod, D-O-H, C-H-T-A-C-U-P-O-D or email us at coachtakupod at gmail.com. Love your wonderful host? In that case, you can follow me, Christina, at Roar on Instagram and you can follow Mary at Mary, M-E-R-Y dot the nerdy coach. Thanks so much. Catch you in the next one.